how did you expect me to respond to that text though? Is what I want to know. I thought that you were going to be pleasantly amused and you seemed just repulsed. <laughs> it was just the most random, like you send me random stuff all the time, but that, okay. All right. So painter, a few days ago, you text me, um, I've been eating grits with Chick-fil-A sauce. Explain yourself. Explain your rationale. Explain explain what what's going on here. I have been a little under the weather, and so I'm simply trying to nurse sound, myself back little, to health. You sound a little you sound a little under the weather. So, you know, look, what does one do? He makes himself some grits. He experiments. And you know, I know you don't like grits, but I, I thought right. I was taking one for the team. So my thing is with the Chick-fil-A sauce is like, what does it do to the grits? Like, does it, cause like I, 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 again, I don't eat grits. I know like the things I know that people do with grits is like you put cheese in them. You can put butter in them. You can put, some people put sugar in them. Um, you can put meat in them, you know, uh, like shrimp and grits obviously is a very popular one. A sauce though. I don't know if I've seen that quite as much, maybe hot sauce, but like, what, what, what is it doing there? Oh, I don't really know. It just was there. I've been buying the Chick-fil-A <laughs> sauce for some time. In the time. bottle? In the uh, I'm not bottle? sure I have good reasoning here. Yeah. The Polynesian in the squeeze bottle is good. I've, I've said this before. Maybe, on, I don't know if I've said it on here. I know this is a, this is a Josh Vitale trick. Or right, one I tried to teach him. Is that the squeeze bottle that you can get in the grocery store of Chick-fil-A Polynesian sauce. You put that on like a ham sandwich, turkey sandwich, or something like that. Just get a nice little sweet stickiness. A little, a little, I mean, because I'm not a mayonnaise person, but you need something. You don't want it to be dry, right? You know, you don't want to have, like, I tried to eat Chick-fil-A the other day. Uh, it was Saturday, actually. I was driving back from um, the airport. I picked up my parents and, and my sister. And my sister lives out of town, and, and my parents have been gone for the last couple of weeks out west. And so I was driving them back from the airport, and they wanted Chick-fil-A, so we got Chick-fil-A. And I was driving the car, so I was like, I'm not going to get anything that I have to dip or anything like that. So I got a sandwich and some fries. But, man, when I was eating the fries, I was like, oh, I am dying over here. Like, it's just A nice dry, dry. French fry. Now, uh, those fries are delicious. Sticking to the sides of your mouth. Yeah. They're salty. Like, I'm a big fan of sticky and mayo. I just don't want the sticky on my hands. And, like, when you get jelly on your hands, right? no bueno. That's terrible. I hate it. You know, and you can't really lick it off because that that doesn't feel right either. You just feel like an animal. I don't know what's the like. I don't know what's the more controversial food take I have. Um, I don't like grits and I don't like ranch dressing. I think those are the two ones that get like the most like like, what in the world? Yeah, I'm not crazy about it. Like I'll eat it, um, but I'm not crazy about it. Grits and ranch are like the two ones that people are like, "What's wrong with you?" Uh, for the most part, I don't understand the ranch one. It's just such a mid condiment. Yeah, but people love it, man. I like, know. Yeah, put no, that on yeah. Like everything. I don't love it, but like yeah. I definitely like will enjoy it with stuff. But it is it to me is filler. Yes, yes, yeah. I've never been a fan, but and see, like, and then I have like weird stuff. Like I don't like lettuce that much. Like I'll eat like spinach or stuff like that. But like iceberg lettuce, never been of, and it's a texture thing for me. Um. But yeah, in terms of like taste, it's like grits. No, sir. No, thank you. And then and then the the ranch and it's like people just like especially in the South have just this white hot hatred of like anybody who dares to speak the bold truth that grits are kind of whatever and um, mm, and ranch dressing down. is filler, like you said. Yeah, I mean, well, you're over there doing like experimental stuff with with grits. I I applaud you for that. 
uh, I made pancakes the other day uh, for the first and bacon. And I thought of you because um, I don't know if people, if, if you've listened to us from our radio days, you may remember the story of the time Painter brought bacon into the studio that he had had in the floorboard of his of his car. He had made bacon, he put it on a plate, and he had was taking it with him to work. And he didn't want it to like fly around everywhere, so he put it in the floorboard of his car. And he, w- during the middle of a show, he forgot that he left it there. And he goes, like, in so many words, is like, I gotta go get that bacon out of the floorboard of my car. And like, gets up and walks out of the studio. And I'm like, is that, did that just, ha-? like, came back in, had like a couple pieces of bacon just, just chopping away. So, is, in the new job, is, 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 have you done floorboard bacon again? <laughs> no, I haven't done floorboard bacon recently, um, but I love that name for it. I, I did the coward's way out. I had like, it's like the pre-cooked bacon already. and just like, oh, it's heated up basically. But yeah, I've been I just, doing every, every time I, every time I make bacon, I just think about the time that you went and got it out of your car. <laughs> Like it was like it magically just like spawned there. <laughs> I've been a big sausage guy of late, especially like the pre-packaged frozen kind that you don't even have to put on the skillet. You just throw it in the microwave and like, like patty the carcinogens just like... immediately absorb into your bloodstream that way. Are we thinking, is it patty or link? Uh, patty for me. Typically, yeah. if I'm going sausage, I'm going patty. But, you know, like you can make some uh, biscuits and then freeze them. And then the next day, like throw on a sausage and, uh, you know, make an egg in three minutes. And like, you can have a pretty good little, a little biscuit action. I think I might be doing that for dinner as I talk now, or I could have no. chicken and waffles, which also oh, sounds that, excellent. That's that. There's only one move there. You got to do the chicken and waffles. That would be pretty. The chicken is already made. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's half the battle. That's more than half the battle. Go ahead and treat yourself on this father's day. <laughs> the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Hello, Justin Ferguson here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless uh, making sausage uh, in parts unknown. Hello, Painter. Hello. How are we? Uh, things are going pretty well here, so thank you for asking. Okay. All right. Yeah. You said you've been under the weather recently. You're playing through some injury right now. Um, you know, you get the, like, the scratchy throat feeling, and then um, the next day is sort of mild but you can feel it ramping up and then there's like a 48 hour window of like it would be better if i simply did not exist and then yeah yeah quickly, is this like a sinus thing uh yeah i just got a little because that's usually what it is for me just oh, got, a little, so got a little action so on the bad. side here trying to take care of of me and you know the entire world what are you gonna do that's what this podcast what is do? for i take the arrows so uh, we've got uh, a decent bit to talk about. Uh, we're going to start with some football, then we'll transition to baseball. I talked to Bennett Durando from the Montgomery Advertiser, who was on a premium podcast not too long ago uh, to talk baseball since he covers Auburn baseball. Uh, we had him on, uh, and he about a half-hour interview with him uh, talking Auburn Ole Miss and then looking forward to, you know, as by the time you're listening to this, uh, the afternoon matchup on Monday between Auburn and Stanford. Uh, but first, we've got some news to talk about in the world of Auburn football. 
Uh, Painter, they did it, finally. Auburn got another edge rusher. Uh, the the one position group that is if you kind of felt... Like, today? Yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, we let's, like that. Let's... Let's let's lead it off. This is uh, comes courtesy of our buddy Christian Clemente, now of Auburn two four seven Sports, Auburn Undercover. Uh, Marcus Bragg, graduate transfer from Western Kentucky, has announced his commitment to Auburn. Uh, quote: Man, it feels wonderful being that this team took me in under the conditions. I just feel the love, and I'm happy. I'm real happy to be here. Clemente notes: Bragg played three seasons for the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers after transferring in from Mississippi Delta Community College. Uh, and became an important piece to the defensive line in 2021, totaling 27 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss, four sacks, and a forced fumble. Before he even left his visit, he had already committed to Auburn. Huge, huge pickup. He has one year of eligibility remaining. Um, look, this was a guy that you absolutely had to have. You were down to three scholarship players at edge rusher in you know the, the, the front line you really like, Derek Hall, Ekuliota. Great tag team of of sacks last season. One of the best tag teams Auburn's had at edge rusher in quite quite some time in terms of their production. Going to be one of the better ones in the SEC this year. That was it. You had Dylan Brooks behind him. He hasn't played down yet at college football. You know, a former tight end, a walk on tight end was your was was your other second team edge rusher during uh, spring ball. Now we had seen Auburn try to manage some of this. Um, we pointed it out, I think, on the podcast somewhat recently. Jason Caldwell uh, uh, making the point on Twitter that uh, our guy Joko Willis was playing, uh, was pictured, sorry, was pictured with the edge rushers because this is the time of the year during the summer. The coaches, uh, the position coaches bring their players in for like team dinners at random times uh, in the summer and they used to take a picture and it's it's a big, you know, it's, it's a big tradition that they do. And Joko was with the edge guys instead of the box linebackers. What if he was just like, man, I just had to get a free meal. <laughs> like we've been speculating basically. Like, if, like I hope, like I hope I haven't gone back and seen like who else has done this, but like I hope that like I hope that Landon King's doing both. Like, and it's like, hey man, I'm playing wide receiver and tight end. I get two, uh, I get two of these free. I'm dinners. going I'm going to you know, yeah, yeah, I'm going to Ike Hilliard's uh, house and then I'm going to Brad Bedell's house and it's like it's like yeah, I hope I really hope Landon King's out there just being like, I am getting both of the meals. Um, Isn't that sort yeah, of maybe, a debate among like professional tight ends? Is like they want to be paid like wide receivers, at least like right. the top end ones, and like that's the compensation for the players. Is like, well, you're not paying us, so if I got to pull double duty as a tight end and a wide receiver, I do need to get two of these uh, delicious meals provided. There, there was a there was a stat the other day, um, and I'm trying to think of where I saw it. Um, Man, it was it was a stat about uh, like guys how they did it, it, it out wide, like at the X position this past year in the NFL, like who was the most efficient, and like two of like the top four names were were tight ends that were just splitting out to watch. It was like Kelsey was one of them, and then like Kyle Pitts. I was like, that's again, don't want to get too high of ourselves. You know, Landon King had a great freshman season um, for a guy that you know was a three star. I don't think a ton of people expected him to play a lot, but. Made some big plays. He figures to be a key part of the offense this year in terms of what he can do at wide receiver and tight end. But it's like those are the type of guys that are really starting to take the NFL by storm, right? Gronk kind of was the first of that era uh, where you can kind of just, oh, a tight end can be just this game changer that you move around everywhere. I think Kyle Pitts is the most like aggressive like version of like, yes, he's a tight end. But like he might be our best X receiver, like to the fact that they were like, Julio Jones, you're good. Like Thank you. We'll, we'll we'll bring in this young guy and 
and spend a career with him. So, um, you know, for a guy like Landon, I think, you know, versatility is, is so key. Um, so yeah, I, the college version of, Hey, get, get, get paid, try to get, you know, as many advantages uh, as possible is go, get, go get the two Respect, coach, get coach the extra pasta meal, get the carb loads in. What sort of, do we get any insight into what sort of meals they do be having? No, I don't think I, I don't know if I've, I've seen the actual spread in the past. Um, I know this is taking us LOL, way back. Well, whoever has to feed the offensive line. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah. I would imagine Will Friend. I would. I would imagine Will Friend and his family are kind of used to that, though, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I do like, remember yeah. speaking of speaking of offensive line. I do remember like when this first like I was early on in my beat days. I remember Herb Hand. That was his big thing. Like Herb Hand was a big cooking guy. Like he was on Chopped. Like he was on an episode of Chopped. Uh, competed in that. Um, is a big, you know, like barbecue guy and stuff like that. And so I know it was a big deal whenever he would cook. You know, for his for his that rules so, that he was. I wonder like, how much that they just all were like, "Yep, oh yeah, that is that is awesome." Because he also wasn't he about my size. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a bigger guy, but yeah, no, sure. you're thinking of JB. You're thinking about oh, JB. JB Grimes. JB Grimes is tiny. Thank you. That's who I'm. JB Grimes. JB Grimes. Shout out JB Grimes, man. One of the nicest and one of the coolest assistants I've ever covered at any point in time. I think every him and Tim Horton. Like I'm, mean, I'm not saying this about like. I guess I should preface all this by saying there are people who are currently, there are currently staff members for Auburn uh, assistants at Auburn that I love talking to every time we get to talk to them. They're great. They're great folks. You know, I've hardly ever, if any have had a bad experience talking to an assistant coach at Auburn, but, but no I will one say is better than my guy, Ellis Johnson. <laughs> you just, you're just jealous of his hair. Oh, uh, what a guy. Um, but like JB Grimes and Tim Horton, are up there in like the the pinnacle of like coach interviews and JB. Yeah, you're right. JB is about like JB's shorter than you. Um, but <laughs> so like, funny, like the position he's and he at. made, and he made like, yeah, he made like a career, like four decades coaching the biggest dudes on the football field. And he's like this little guy just kind of hopping around and, and like, because like back in his day, like offensive linemen all kind of looked like him. They were just, let's find the mean dudes who want to hit people, who want to hit people. Sort of the um, inverse of Philip Fulmer. I think a guy who never played, but was larger than life. Yeah. I mean, like there's different, like Mark Mangino, you know, it's kind of known for being an offensive guy and also looking like, uh, also, <laughs> <laughs> also looking like a walrus. Simply um, Googling that man is something that I do from time to time. Like if I'm in a doctor's office or at a particularly long red light, I'll just Google him. Um, so yeah, I, Joko Willis back to the point. Joko Willis had, uh, been spotted there, but yeah, they needed depth and you kept seeing, there was the um, the UCLA transfer they went after a while back. They've they've tried going after others. There was a uh, that that second round of um, recruiting uh, before the before the bad times started for Brian Harson and the and the, and the football team uh, with the investigation and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, before the challenging period, um, there was a Which there was a. It's fine now. <laughs> yeah, uh, Just whatever. The, the edge rusher, they, there was an edge rusher in the high school ranks that were going after pretty hard. Like, everybody knew they needed more edge guys. Um, they lost Caleb Johnson and Romello Height from last year's team. You know, Caleb Johnson left in the middle of the year. T.D. Moultrie graduated and left as, as a super senior. And so now, like, Joko's in the mix, and then now you add one more player in uh, in 
Marcus Bragg. And like I said, Bragg played a decent bit last season for Western Kentucky. This was a Western Kentucky uh, defense last year that, you know, I th- the story for Western Kentucky, if you don't, if you don't remember last season, is that Western Kentucky did the um, did the incredible thing last year of just saying, you know what, um, we're just going to buy an entire offense. They got Bailey Zapp, uh, and then a couple of receivers, and then the offensive coordinator from Houston Baptist, who had this really good FCS offense. You know, Zapp's in the NFL now, and. Um, I believe the the yeah the offense coordinator from Western Kentucky is now at Texas Tech um, under that new staff. So Western Kentucky for as like they you know last season <laughs> last season WKU uh, finished. Let's see Bailey Zapp his numbers were absurd. I remember that Bailey Zapp last season threw for nearly six thousand yards, sixty two touchdowns, and eleven interceptions. Uh, he attempted forty nine passes per game. So your defense is going to be on the field quite a bit if you play that way. And uh, he was a part of that and. Obviously, Western had a really good season, um, so needed needed that pickup. He is a one year guy. He is a rental. We have talked about, you know, here recently, um, Auburn getting these multi year transfers, getting guys who you feel like are going to be here for a while, and you can develop. But they have gotten some rentals. They've had they've gotten a couple of them, and this is the one year guy. Of course, those can really help you out. Saw that last season, Auburn getting by Darius Knighton and Tony Fair and. Demetrius Robertson obviously played a big role in his one year at Auburn. So those are guys to get. Like, you just had to get somebody at edge rusher because if one of those guys get hurt between Derek Hall and Ekuliota, you are down to guys with no experience coming in. So now, at least in this case, you know, we'll see how Dylan Brooks develops. We'll see if they keep Joko Willis out there. But if something happens to one of those two guys or just the natural, hey, you need to rotate dudes around and put them into the game, you now have a guy who has FPS experience, considerable FPS experience, has three years of it uh, before you know going back, and then obviously he he transferred in from um, from the junior college ranks. He was in Mississippi Delta, and uh, so he's 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 an older dude, and he's he's played a lot of football, and um, just a guy. Yeah, Marcus Bragg. Not again. The numbers aren't going to jump off the page. The the numbers aren't going to be like, oh wow, Auburn went out and got this guy who's a steal, um, who was just this crazy efficient player, but on the field a lot. Um, played for a really for a really good group of five team last season, and it's just hey, if anything happens to your top guys, you need somebody who with some experience. He's going to provide that, and also you just need to rotate him. Derek Hall and Ekulio can't play every snap. That's not good for anybody involved. So they needed this absolutely, and now they've got it in Marcus Bragg. Pretty big pickup, um, and and one that that was like the last one I thought because people are like, are they done? Is the transfer portal kind of over with with them? And it seemed like, yeah, for the most part, they were they were pretty much done. Um, but they needed an edge, and, and it looks like they've got it now in, uh, in, in Marcus Bragg. Football, a sport notorious for not using lots of energy or having injuries that can derail a season. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it'll, uh, it'll hurt you. It'll hurt you for sure. Uh, he is, uh, by the way, uh, I didn't give a – he is listed, according to this, at 6'5", 268. He's originally from North Miami, Florida, um, and he was a three-star coming out of the junior college ranks before he went to Western Kentucky. Um, he's expected to be a rotational piece uh, for Auburn uh, and one they absolutely needed to have. But, yeah, you can't, you could not get through that year. Like, they would be living on, like, the, the, the biggest razor's edge, really, if, uh, if they didn't have um, – 
if they didn't have a guy in Marcus Bragg coming in. So, again, one year of eligibility remaining, uh, one that they absolutely had to have. As of right now, again, I'm typing again. Uh, as of right now, uh, there was 80, 80 scholarship guys, it looks like, for the upcoming year. So, for all the pieces Auburn lost in the transfer portal, not signing a huge class, They've really recovered in terms of numbers, just a pure numbers game. They have recovered a good bit uh, with guys they've got in the transfer portal. Um, so depth does not seem like it's going to be too much of a concern um, you know, coming up this year for Auburn as it was, say, a few months ago um, when, when people right before spring ball when everybody was kind of really worried about some of the spots on the field. Now, we will see if Auburn's got the talent, they've got the – um, if they've got the production in order to be a good SEC team to take a step forward, there's a lot of question marks still remain. But I think depth, the way that this coaching staff has been able to shore up the depth, knowing that there's a lot of questions about them and the future and the direction of the program, the fact that they've been out to and go out and get guys that they needed, um, I think speaks to a different level of like, you know, it, it's not a train wreck, right? You know, they, they've been able to, get guys to commit and get guys to come in there to the fact that if Auburn struggles this season, I don't think depth, pure depth will be an issue. We can talk about talented depth. We can talk about guys getting ready to play and, and, and developed, but in terms of pure numbers, they've recovered really, really well. And I think the edge was kind of like the last piece of that puzzle. I'm going with Andrew Williams as one of my top guys of rotational pieces that I'm a big fan of. Andrew Williams. Oh, man, I loved Andrew Williams. Great dude. Great dude. A great, great defensive lineman. And you got to have guys like that, right? Like, you got to have dudes. Not everybody can be a superstar. Not everybody can be a starter, especially when you recruit at a high level. Like, you may have a guy that by the time, just through the nature of football, by the time he's a junior or a senior, he could be like an all-SEC type of player. Like, I think Marquis Burks is getting a little bit of that right now, where it's just like, not a superstar, maybe not a regular starter, but like, He'll make plays for you and rotate in and do his job and do it really, really well. Yeah, Andrew Williams is a great example of that. Um, Montavious Atkinson was that way at linebacker um, for, for Auburn for a while. Um, you know, there's there, there's a number of those guys that I think play that role really well. A little harder to do on offense just because on offense, like you, if you rotate in, you like a wide receiver or tight end, if you catch the ball or run the ball, like you're, you're a guy that you have. So, I mean, I think Malik Miller was going on that track before, you know, Things kind of tailed off of them, but yeah. No, you need guys like that for sure, and I think Auburn's got a few of those guys that are good. Like, I like him, and, I, and I'm interested to see what he does this year just because um, he didn't play quite as much last season as people thought, but like, Zykevious Walker, is, is is he destined to be one of those guys? And it's like, well, he's a pretty highly touted recruit. So was Andrew Williams. It's just like, you know, not everybody can be a superstar. Not everybody can be a starter. Um, and you need guys that will play the role and rotate and do a good job for you. Um, yeah, Andrew Williams is a really good example because that was a guy that I think was really well-liked by his teammates, and coaches always had really, really great things to say about him. Folks, we love solidifying our lines. Yes, and I think I think the thing with, with Auburn's defensive front, I think I talked about it not too long ago. I think if Auburn is better than expected this season, I think a big piece of it is going to be on defense – the fact that that pass rush is going to be pretty good. That you bring back Eric Hall, that you bring back Akuliota, but you need a depth behind him. You have Colby Wooden, you have these guys. Like that defensive front, I think, is going to get by some time for that secondary to evolve and grow and, and gain confidence. Um, and like I said, 
on a recent podcast. Like, I would much rather have a really good defensive front than a really good secondary if I had to pick one of the two. Again, but you don't want to get into a situation where one or two guys go down with injury and you're like, well, all that talent just, just kind of gone to waste now because you because you just have this really bad depth situation. So we shall see how, how all that pays off. But they needed a guy like Mark Sprague. They've gotten him, and I'll be very interested to see how he plugs in uh, in fall camp and, and how he does moving forward. All right, so right now we are going to go to an interview uh, I did with uh, Bennett Durando talking Auburn baseball. So let's jump in. All right, making a return visit to the podcast. Uh, Bennett Durando, the Montgomery Advertiser, here to talk to us about uh, Auburn baseball's opening loss at the College World Series on Saturday and then looking ahead, of course, to Monday's game. By the time you're listening to this, uh, Auburn will be playing later that day. Um, so, first of all, Bennett, appreciate you hopping back on with us. It's a busy week, busy weekend. Uh, uh, I know you're uh, looking forward not only to the rest of this College World Series, but got NBA draft this week and, and stuff like that. But we brought you back on to talk baseball. And, um, okay, let's just open it right right up. Auburn losing 5-1 to one to Ole Miss on Saturday. Uh, what jumped out to you about this game? Because this was an Auburn team that was playing, you know, like one of the hottest teams in, in college baseball. Of course, Ole Miss was as well. What kind of stood out to why this one, you know, for the loss that they had, just didn't really feel competitive in it, uh, you know, at least most of the way. Yeah, it, it's one of those games where it's sort of, I think it was within reach always, but it never felt like it was within reach. Yeah, yeah. And I think the prevailing sort of sense that I got is that maybe we should have seen this valley for the offense coming. Um, mm. it, it was sort of in the making the last couple games of the Oregon State Super Regional um, this is now three games that Auburn has been held to five hits or fewer in a game. I mean, uh, the situational hitting has not been great, but they haven't put themselves in good situations to begin with. As, as Butch Thompson pointed out, they now have three leadoff runners who have reached base in the last three games. So that is, wow. I mean, yeah. in, in 27 innings. So that, I mean, that's pretty bad. And then when they do have guys on base six for 25 during that stretch, um, so, you know, it, it, they sort of found a way to get through that Oregon State series. And, I mean, like, that, that's what Auburn has done all season. Like, they've found a way to win these games that maybe on paper it doesn't look like they should have won. Um, and the decisive win against Oregon State was a prime example of that, having two two-run rallies with one hit both times, winning the game with just three hits. You know, everything sort of lined up so perfectly for that to be a one-run win on the road against number three overall team. And now, you know, some of the flaws that that were sort of able to slip under the radar become exacerbated in, in the Ole Miss game against a pitching staff that was really hot and didn't allow a run to Southern Miss in their Super Regional. Yeah, so I, I guess that's the other thing. You know, when you look at Oregon State, Obviously, they 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 faced Oregon State's ace in Game Two. That was the game they lost. Game Three, they like you just said, they were able to grind it out without a, a ton of offense. Um, was this kind of a case to you where it's like, hey man, this is an old Dylan Delucia, uh, their pitcher. Uh, I mean, that, he, he's seven and two, struck out ten in this game. Is a case of like, okay, against elite pitching, maybe Auburn's not the the just red hot offense that they have been in, in the postseason. And what does that kind of set them up for for the rest of the way? Because you would think you're not going to face an ace for a while now if you hang in Omaha. Yeah, that's a good point. And and another thing to point out about Auburn is that they've 
found a way to be one of the better bounce back teams in the country this mm-hmm. season. They're 16 and four after a loss. Um, so they're, they're sort of built for this double elimination, you know, college world series format in the NCAA tournament as a whole. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Jerpy for Oregon state was really strong against Auburn and, and Delusia was, I mean, from the beginning, he made it yeah. into the fifth game, fifth inning, excuse me, without allowing a guy to reach base. Uh, it, it's, you know, you face, an ace pitcher and things have sort of gone downhill in those cases. The, the other thing for Auburn was that they sort of, I think they sensed the urgency of that game by going with Joseph Gonzalez, um, Auburn's own Sunday starter, instead of maybe a trace bright who needs a bounce back start. Uh, just because, you know, Auburn was the favored team in that game. Ole Miss, the last team into the tournament field, sort of the ultimate underdog in a World Series full of underdogs. Um, and and you know that going into that second game, you've got Arkansas, who's, you know, another team peaking at the right time, but was really tough on Auburn at Plainsman Park just a couple weeks ago, or Stanford, the number two overall team, who just has a loaded lineup. So Auburn took the chance with Joseph Gonzalez, and he was sort of gritty enough, even though he didn't have his stuff working his slider wasn't great butch thompson said that uh the sinker didn't quite have enough downward movement so you know some some of his strong pitches just weren't working and he still found a way to go five into the sixth inning with you know it ended up being four runs because of the inherited runners but um a, a pretty gritty start to at least keep your team in the game and it doesn't pay off and now you've got probably trace bright i i'm not in omaha just to to be transparent but um uh, I, I imagine they'll be announcing a game two starter yeah. sometime later today. So yeah, it, it, it's tough. Again, you get that first game out of the way. You aren't facing aces anymore for a while, which is the good news for Auburn. Maybe they'll have some of that regional offense come back out um, against Stanford, but there's more of an incentive to do that because Stanford has a ridiculous lineup. So in your mind, how important was it or, do you kind of see it as a gamble that Carson Skipper came in and just finished the game? Like they, you know, he's been such a good, like him and Burkhalter have been so good in the, in the postseason, And that when Auburn pulled Gonzalez, Skipper, you know, d- didn't let the game get out of hand and then just finished it off, which when you put like, again, I'm not, I'm no baseball expert, but it seems like it might be a little bit a while before you see him again, just because of the workload you gave him. And now, what, what what do you think about that move and kind of the, the mindset? It seemed like after the game, from what I could read, Butch Thompson was saying, like, hey, we were just still trying to give ourselves a shot. Throw throw, a, throw one of your best relievers out there and try to keep yourself in the game. Don't give it up, basically. He he was treating it as a, you know, there's no tomorrow. What, but I actually think that Thompson sort of handled it perfectly um, because if we look just back to last weekend in the Super Regional, Skipper pitched three innings against Oregon State. He did not pitch the next day, but um, Butch Thompson was asked after the game, will Skipper be available for game three um, after a day of rest? And uh, Butch said Skipper was available today. He was available on no day's rest even after those three innings. So, I mean, you know, he didn't pitch, so maybe that was just all talk. But but it indicates, I think, that Thompson is not afraid to – throw Skipper back out there. If there's one guy that Auburn trusts to maybe go back-to-back days even after a heavy workload, I think it's Skipper. And so you sort of 
used him four innings. Maybe there's not much of a difference between three and four innings of work. In Auburn's mind, you saved every other bullpen arm. Yeah, a guy like yeah. a, a freshman like John Armstrong now is well-rested, and I think that's pretty important. Uh, Tommy Sheehan's a guy who had a big outing against Oregon State, another lefty who you have available if you need him. I, a lot of these guys who just did not have to work at all. And, and so at the same time, I don't think Auburn would be afraid to go to Skipper, even if for maybe a short situational thing, two outs, runners in scoring position, lefty-lefty matchup. I, like who knows exactly how they would handle that, but I think they would go for it. And on top of that, I mean, I guess if it's a tight game on Monday and you get late, even if it's not a safe situation, you can go to Burkhalter as well, exactly. and, and you don't you don't feel any you don't feel any problems with that because he didn't go. Um, speaking of Thompson and speaking of just kind of the reaction to game to the to the Ole Miss game, seemed like you know Delusia was unreal good. Um, he was he had his stuff. He had great command. Um, was there anything said or kind of communicated about the approach Auburn had at the plate during the game? I know that was something that some Auburn fans were kind of uh, a little upset about just because uh, it felt like, uh, you know, Auburn was taking some really good pitches and then swinging at some tough stuff later in the in the counts. Did they kind of address, did Thompson, what did Thompson say about kind of his hitters at the plate? Because, again, this has been a really, really good offense. Delucia's is a really, really good pitcher, but – you know, it seemed like they never kind of got in anywhere kind of in the rhythm or kind of had had this dude's number at any point. or, or felt like They felt like they were chasing him kind of the whole game. I, I think he came out, he was definitely the aggressor, and Auburn was not particularly aggressive early in counts and found themselves mm-hmm. behind in counts. And when you find yourself behind in a count, it becomes easier to chase something out of the zone. Um, so it, it starts at the beginning of an at-bat. I, I think so through those first six innings, before Auburn uh, put a couple of hits on him to start the seventh, Delusia, he'd thrown 71 pitches in six innings. 51 of them were strikes, and I want to say he had no three-ball counts in those six wow. innings. He might have had yeah, one, that, but, yeah. I mean, it was he was pounding the strike zone, and Auburn was not going after him early enough in counts. And, look, Auburn wants to take more walks, part of what's been – Wrong the last... You talked about that the last time you were on. Exactly. About how that was like a key in the regional for them when mm-hmm. they were pounding the ball. And, of course, they played Oregon State last weekend. That Oregon State team was all-world at taking at taking pitches and, and stuff like that. So I can see how that... You don't want to get too, like, hyped up, especially yeah. when you're playing in Omaha for your first time for a lot of these guys. Yeah, I, I, I think philosophically it sounds right to come in there with a patient approach swing at your pitches but I, I think they were just caught off balance a little bit by how much Delucia was attacking from the get-go and his stuff was really good so I mean one once he's ahead it, you know it's it's easier said than done to not chase a pitch with really good movement tailing out of the zone with two strikes and you're sort of in a defensive mode anyway at that point so you know the approaches weren't right but you know like you said the walks are important Auburn has only taken four walks in the last three games now. So, mm. you know, that's that's another element to this, that those leadoff base runners sort of finding a way to scrap together rallies, That that's something that Auburn has been really good at. It, it's what they managed to do even when they weren't hitting at a superb level against Oregon State, and it's obviously what they did to just put up a ton of runs in the regional. So um, those little things sort of have to start coming together. And it starts at the top of the lineup where Auburn has struggled. Ended up being... You know, inconsequential in for for this game. But one of the things that stood out to me from watching it was 
good grief, these dudes were running into everything trying to make plays. <laughs> these guys were going all out, and I and I wonder, I wonder how much of that for for a staff is like, hey, I had a way to like keep to, like do everything you can, but like also, man, uh, I can't remember who it was. Um, I'm blanking on who it was specifically, but the guy who hit the tarp over oh, on third on was, the third uh, baseline was Brody Moore. Yeah, yeah, Brody Moore. Yeah, just I mean, just slammed into that thing too, and it was just like. But I guess that's kind of part of the, I don't know the style of this team, man. Like they don't do any half measures. Like they're they 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 went all out, and I guess that's a really good time to see in a game where, like you said, very frustrated at the plate, maybe frustrated on the mound and on on defense. But like all the way to the end of the game, these dudes were these dudes were sacrificing everything. Yes, they were. I, I man, when Brody ran into that tarp, I was like, is he I gonna, thought it was bad. I was yeah. like, is he going to get up for a second? I was afraid. And, he, I was afraid he hit his head. Yeah, I was afraid that he hit his head on, yep. on something over there. Yeah, obviously the head, neck, sort of. If there's any movement there, that's yeah. where you're concerned. But he popped up. I mean, that guy's. You know, he was on the 2019 College World Series yep. team. He's very much a leader on this roster, and and a guy who's pretty well spoken, and will will come out and talk to the media a lot too, whether good or bad. But so. Um, I, yeah, I, it doesn't surprise me that they were sort of they came out laying their bodies on the line, and, and Butch was asked about it after the game too, and he was like, you know, there were a lot of frustrating things about this game. We weren't hitting well, we weren't setting the table well, and all that. But you know, I I'm confident in that. I'm not questioning this team's effort at all. Right? Like they this yeah. team came here high effort, high energy. They want to win. It's it's not a lack of focus. It's not anything like that. They got beat by a good pitcher. They took some bad at bats. But you know, I think yeah, Butch wasn't too concerned about the collisions. He was like, I saw that as as a sign of you know that we were ready to go in Omaha. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Now, of course, Auburn not a great day on Saturday. Could have had a lot worse day. And the team they play on Monday afternoon had a really bad day. Uh, Stanford. How wild is it, by the way? That in Omaha, the four seeds all lost, and the four teams that didn't even host a regional all won uh, on both sides of that bracket. So Auburn plays Stanford. Stanford gets obliterated in that first game on Saturday. Saturday by Arkansas was it seventeen two? I believe. Yeah, seventeen yeah, two is the final. It's like the most a Pac twelve teams ever given up in a in a College World Series game. The most an SEC teams ever scored in a College World Series. It was just this just an absurd game. Um, Again, this Stanford team, they weren't the betting favorite coming into the tournament. That was Texas, who was, who was uh, as we are recording right now, fighting for their lives. Uh, they're, in the, they're in an elimination game right now. Um, but they are the highest seed that is, you know, they're, they're the best seed that left in this tournament. I, in your, from your estimation, A, what the heck happened to Stanford in, in, in this first game? And two, what kind of effects do you see coming into this game? Obviously, elimination game, obviously you know, do or die for, for both of these teams. But as frustrating as Saturday was for Auburn, man, it could have been it could have been nightmare territory because that's what Stanford got into. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 5-1 to one doesn't seem so bad when you look at that score. Um, Stanford, I mean, I think they, they ran into a pitcher who was sort of at the top of his game, sort of like Auburn did. Connor Nolan just shut him down, almost finished the eighth inning, ended up, I, I think he gave up both of the runs, but... Um, just was really locked in, really sharp for Arkansas all day. And that's a lineup that has seven guys batting over 300, 
the two guys that don't bat 300 make up for it with 18 home runs apiece. So and they've got another two guys in there with 20 plus home runs. I mean, this, it, it is a loaded lineup when, when you look at it on paper and, and to see them shut down to two runs is, is pretty stunning. And it, and it was sort of a buzzsaw situation with Nolan, uh, Nolan's, I think for Stanford on the mound, Alex Williams is really good. He looked sharp early on and then, you know, third time through the lineup, did him in. He was he was a one run through four innings and then gave up the three-run homer in the fifth. Floodgates sort of opened, ends up not making it through that inning. And Stanford suddenly has to burn through a lot of its bullpen, um, which, you know, puts them in a worse spot than Auburn. They've got a good bullpen, too. Ryan Bruno comes in. They were hesitant to let him go too long, but he goes 30 pitches, doesn't make it through a full inning, gives up a run. So guys who are you know, reliable sort of faces of that team that were not really delivering uh, against Arkansas, which, I mean, you can say the same for Auburn. Obviously, Blake Rambush's slump has probably gotten a lot of attention only because he's so good normally. But, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, some of the best players on these teams just haven't had their best games in these big spots. And so it all, I mean, you name it, it went wrong. How much of an impact do you think it's going to have on Stanford? Again, like we just said earlier, Auburn uses two pitchers and a loss. Stanford used six, which, you know, you give up 17 runs. It's kind of hard to leave a dude in there and just say, hey, buddy, just keep at it. Um, how much of an impact do you see that making on a game like this? Because, again, Auburn's going to be a lot fresher with their arms than, than the Stanford team does. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to say, and I think a lot of it comes down to, I mean, like, this is this is – bad podcasting practice to play ahead i guess when when by the time this airs we'll know who the starter is but but let's assume that uh, it's... I, I will say i'll say this while we're recording this i just looked over at twitter if you heard me typing that's what that's what you probably heard um for those of you listening trace bright will start tomorrow okay uh, that was that Perfect. was that was po- pointed out as as we were recording uh yeah. that butch made that official that is wonderful that upends my hypothetical then so trace bright is starting and mm-hmm. <laughs> He didn't make it out of the first inning last time. Um, you know, that's the elephant in the room. Uh, he's pretty good at bouncing back, but in Auburn's case, you need you probably need at least five innings from him. Auburn's maybe in a better situation if things go awry, but, you know, one bad inning from him can really blow up, as we saw against Oregon State, another Pac-12 team with a great lineup. And if that happens, then it's sort of, even footing in terms of the bullpen situations of you don't want Auburn having to go another six or seven innings with the bullpen while you know it, right. it's, it's yeah. unlikely that a team is going to have to use six guys in relief two games in a row so I, I don't know I, I tend to think that the universe finds balance in these situations a little bit and it maybe won't make that big of a difference but um, I don't know I, I think both teams are going to treat it as all hands on deck to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. If you need a guy, it might not matter if he pitched the day before or, you know, two days before. Last question before we let you go. You've, you've obviously covered this team. You know this team. Um, they've been really good with, with their backs up against the wall all season long, not just in these situations, like, because, you know, they've only faced elimination once all, se- yeah. all postseason uh, to this point. Um, what are you expecting from this team on Monday afternoon? I guess, especially the hitters, kind of at the plate. You know, they, they've they've struggled recently, but um, 
just kind of, kind of what are you expecting out of them against a team that Stanford that's really good, but as we've seen, very beatable. I th- I think Auburn will win. That's sort of what my gut is saying. Uh, I think last time y'all had me on here, I and the prediction was against Auburn. I, I this time I I do think Auburn will win. I I think Blake Rambush is due, and I think at the top of the lineup, the first two guys are going to be key because. And we don't know Cole Foster's situation either. He was out with an illness um, after the fifth inning yesterday. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he and Blake Rambush so removed the first game of the NCAA tournament against Southeast Louisiana, where everyone just went berserk at the plate. Uh, those two were a combined five for forty-two in the tournament since then, which is like one twenty or something like that. So very bad. And those are the two guys who bat in front of Sonny Deshera. So sort of two important guys to get on base. I, I feel like I feel like Blake Rambush is due. He's won for his last 21. Um, I mean, it's been a brutal stretch for him, and he's Auburn's second-best hitter. But I, I, I don't know. I think this team has sort of found they've, they've had a knack to bounce back in the nick of time, sort of in, in that spot where it's like, oh, Things are trending downward at last. I mean, going into the regional, it was an Auburn team that was one and done in the SEC tournament um, and had struggled down the stretch. They had lost two or three against Kentucky in the last regular season. So I, I, the pass sort of has to go out the window with this team, I think, at the start of every new game. Uh, and, and I do think Auburn will find a way. I think it's going to be a close game. I think wouldn't surprise me if it's another one-run game and it's a Burkhalter situation in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, but but I think Auburn's going to get out of there with a close one. It's Bennett Durando. Appreciate you joining us as always. He was on a premium podcast not too long ago before the Super Regional. This is your first time on the public podcast, so a little bit True. more people listening to this one. So let them know how they can uh, follow all the stuff you've got coming for from this week. Not just Auburn baseball, but. You'll be covering the NBA draft later this week, and then obviously uh, as we get closer and closer to football season. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm pumped for the draft. I'll have a lot of Jabari stuff the next few days, and then I'll be in Brooklyn. Um, so that'll be MontgomeryAdvertiser.com. Uh, you can there's an Auburn page specifically from there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Bennett Durando. It's my name. I'm not going to spell it so that we can save time, but hopefully listeners can spell it. All right, again, we appreciate Bennett for hopping on with us and talking to Auburn baseball. Uh, we mentioned towards the end of that about Auburn basketball. He's going to be at the draft. Uh, we will talk some draft later in the week uh, as we get closer to it uh, with Jabari Smith, obviously having a real chance to go 1-1. Walker Kessler, where does he end up? We'll talk about that later in this week on a premium pod. If you're not a subscriber and you'd like to listen to the premium podcast, like the ones we had with Bennett, and a lot of we do a lot of our guests uh, on our premium podcast for those of you who subscribe, uh, giving something a little extra for you guys. AuburnObserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. You can also give a free trial. Get a free trial for uh, seven days or absolutely free. Get you access to every podcast we do, and you that's the way to get all of the newsletters sent straight to your email inbox. Uh, you get three newsletters and two podcasts per week here in the offseason. Uh, Auburn football and men's basketball sent to you. And we appreciate all of you who do subscribe um, because it's a time of year where, you know, people are maybe tightening some things up with their budgets or there's not as, you know, there's not actual games going on. 
with Auburn football and men's basketball, but a lot of you, almost all of you, have continued to stay on board and support us, and that truly does mean a lot to us uh, at this time of year. So tell your friends, and uh, yeah, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast for free and you'd like to check us out, like I said, we do have that trial option. I encourage you, you can do that. Uh, there are options to pick that up on the website. All right. You can help us out that way. That's the best way to support what we do. The other best way, I guess the number two way, to support the show, and it costs you absolutely no money, is to do what, Painter? Rate, review, subscribe. Just go to the little podcasting app. Most of you probably use Apple. Maybe use Spotify. Search us by typing in Auburn Observer and then star us up. Leave a little couple of words. Do your thing. Hit subscribe or follow, you know, the whole shebang. Yeah, it's it's really easy, and it helps us out a ton. If you give us five stars and if you write something nice for us uh, on the on the review, we will read it because we're vain people. Uh, but we also want to shout you guys out, and uh, it does help us a lot. Actually writing a review makes it a whole lot easier for people to find us. Uh, giving us five stars, yeah, it's just it's a it's a huge, huge thing for us. And then you can give us five stars also on Spotify if you listen that way, but you can't give us a written review. Not there yet. Once we do, once we have that capability, I want you guys to unleash uh, your fury on that as well. But, but we know that for now, all of you are leaving five stars on both and reviews where you can. So yeah, we appreciate. Do you have that. a new re- Do you have a new review to read though? Uh, shout out to our friend D Tiger eighty four who says, "Great insight from both of you guys. Enjoy listening to all your content. I'm a believer in our football team this year. Hopefully, we can overachieve like the bad news Tigers this year in baseball. I do believe that Harson can develop some talent. Auburn is trending up in many sports." War damn eagle. So shout Folks, out to D Tiger eighty four. I love it. The positivity is already hitting you. You didn't even wait for two a days or fall camp. We don't do two a days anymore. Uh I absolutely love it. I'm seeing more and more people are telling me that the vibes are the over, which is something that usually I wait until the fall to convince myself of. Um shout out to all of you for doing it in the summer. Uh, and you know, just because of that, I was rewatching the Auburn Ole Miss game recently. Uh, it was yeah, a very specific talk about that. form of cope, um, to point okay. out the opening drive was electric, which it I was. did. It was, it was very good. Tank was running with so much power that game. It was very funny to watch the Ole Miss defense. Uh, Auburn had some crazy stops that I'd forgotten about deep in its own territory. I think two fourth down stops and an INT in the end zone. So yeah. Yeah. Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin went like full galaxy brain in that game about like he had, he had gotten, he he had gotten all those like, cause remember heading into the Alabama game, it was like, man, they're going for it on fourth down so many times. Oh man, he is changing the game. The analytics. An example of when reading the mentions can get you in trouble. That guy was definitely high on his own supply. And and then in, in the Auburn game as well, they had a ton of, of conversions. Yeah, tanking that game against Ole Miss, 23 carries for 140 yards. That was the that was the best he had all year until the uh, South Carolina game. Um, yeah, Ole Miss, Ole Miss last season, man, is just like reckless fourth downs. Um, they were, let's see, against Auburn, they were they were one of four, so it was a little low. They the next week against Liberty, they only tried once. They only tried once against Vanderbilt. Uh, they emptied the clip at the end of the year in a 21 to seven loss to Baylor. Obviously, um, the big news there was when uh, Matt Corral got hurt, but they were five of seven 
on fourth down conversions. Meanwhile, though, two of five against the Alabama Crimson Tide. I don't even remember uh, who their backup was, and I don't think he'll be their starter this year. But I'm not lying. I'm not paying attention uh, to their Meyer? situation. Uh, like, he like actually Luke looked pretty good when he came in for Corral yeah. for a drive or two, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, like you were saying, uh, Jackson Dart uh, is more than likely going to be the guy at Ole Miss this year, I think. Um, By the way, Sean Shivers in that game, you know, didn't have like a high usage this past year, but in both the Ole Miss and the uh, LSU game had some pretty important catches on – how does Auburn downs. replace that? Uh, how does Auburn replace that this year? Is, 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 is my big question. I think yeah. the answer is, I mean, it's got to be. More Jarquez, more catches out of the backfield for Tank. And I think I think some of Damari Austin. Yeah. I think you're going to have to yeah. you're gonna have to use that. Sprinkle that We'll in also there. be interested to see if Sean, Sean Jackson can be that guy for you this year. Auburn was so not good on third and short and fourth and short situations last year that I wonder if a guy like Jackson can just help you out, just move the pile a little bit better. Not to say Tank can't do it, not to say Jarquez Hunter can't do it, not to say a good old-fashioned quarterback sneak can't do it either. I would but like for Tank you have a dude who just to have to do everything. Right. If you're like, I need two yards, it's like, why don't you give it to the former walk-on who would love to run a hole through everybody? <laughs> you know, would love to be, to be just a little wrecking. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we'll see. By the way, I've said it before. I love love Sean Jackson's story, man. This is a dude who could have gotten a UAB on a scholarship. He could have played group of five ball. He's like, nah, I'm an SEC player, and I'll, I'm going to prove everybody that I prove to everybody that I can play in, the, in that league. And sure enough, here he is with the scholarship at Auburn. Um, hard work, man. It, it, it'll take you a long, long way. And he comes from a great program, obviously. Who trustful. Um, shout out to uh, shout do you out have to a soft former. spot for them? I feel like you do. Yes, because their so offense I is do. Good. Their offenses are good. I do, and I've said this before. Maybe I don't know if I've done it on the podcast. I've said I've said I've said this before about a hundred times in this podcast already. So I'm sorry for saying that so much, because all I do is repeat myself. Um, my my JV basketball coach and my ninth grade history teacher uh, is the offense coordinator here at Trussell, uh, and was the running right. backs coach there for a while. And uh, shout out to Coach Johnson, uh, uh, great dude. Um, glad to see him. From from starting out at a place like Op and, and ended ending up at you know being the coordinator for one of the best schools in the state. No, I do have a soft spot for them. They they produce a lot of good guys. They've always been very open. The times I've tried to talk to them with their coaches and their players, it's a really good program. And, and Auburn, multiple staffs now have been like, let's get to you at trustful kids. It's like yeah, it, it, it works. No Igbenogany works. We'll see about guys like Amari Kelly, Javaris Johnson, obviously played there, and then Sean Jackson being a being a pickup from there. All right, before we go, we want to talk some basketball. Like I said, NBA draft later this week. Uh, big week for, obviously, Jabari Smith and, and Walker Kessler, but we did want to talk about the future um, because last week uh, we got an opportunity. I, you know, I love the fact that Bruce Pearl is so open as, as a coach. Um, he's not trying to hide anything. Uh, he, he lets uh, – when it, when we are allowed by NCAA rules, um, and there's some like iffy things about like individual workouts and camps and stuff like that, where um, you know we're not, but practices, actual practices, uh, we can watch, and and the media, us and the media can go and watch. We're not live tweeting it or anything like that. There's some like, hey, we're just there to learn, basically. And um, got an opportunity last week to. It was before. No, it was after we did our last podcast, so we didn't talk about it on our, on our last premium pod, but um, got an opportunity to watch them practice kind of their first real practice of the year. Um, they are able to practice right now because 
they're going to Israel uh, for their upcoming uh, foreign tour where they are playing the Israel, the Israeli national team, the Israeli, I believe, U-20s. Um, so they've got that going on. So they're allowed to practice right now. And we got to watch the opening practice of it. Um, and uh, <laughs> it, it, it's fun. It's like you can tell a difference. The 6'10 sniper is not on the floor anymore. Um, but I will say, um, you know, early on, and we saw this on film with him, and, and I think it's kind of carried over. I really like Jani Broom. I really like what he what he brings. I think that level of rim protection, we saw it. Uh, he posted great numbers last season at, at, at Moorhead. Um, I would not be surprised to see him post those kind of numbers in the SEC this year. Now, it's going to be hard to replicate Walker's numbers. He's not as tall as Walker. But I think some of those same instincts for guys a few inches shorter, I think some of those same instincts of like rim protection, uh, help playing good help defense coming across uh, the lane uh, to, to assist are good. And then, yeah, I think you're going to see more of a concerted effort to get the ball down low and try to like work some offense to the inside, try to open out that inside, open up the inside out game a little bit more through that. Um, that first practice I came away just being like, man, Janai Broom looks like he's ready to, ready for this. And it's not surprising. You know, you can find really good talent at mid-major levels in college basketball. Obviously, Auburn and Florida went down to the wire for him. Uh, it's easy to see why. This is a dude that is a really, really good basketball player. And um, he's not Walker. He's different than Walker. But he's got some similarities on the defensive end. And I think that freedom the defense enjoyed playing with last season because they knew they had that weapon right under the basket. I think that they're going to be able to carry back a lot of that this year. And I think it's going to be so huge for the way they play. That's the point that that's really the only point that I can make is defensively. If I'm a guard, especially an undersized guard, knowing I can play aggressively with my on ball defense. And then if I get beat by a half step, they've still got to deal with that. I would imagine it changes everything. And you'd like to think maybe Broom isn't quite the defender. Well, I, quite frankly, we know he's not going to be the defender Walker is because most people are But he aren't. wasn't far off. He was not right. far now, off. The statistics you laid out in the story were, were impressively close in some regards. And you'd like to think that your guards would take a step forward defensively in the offseason and so that they could meet somewhere in the middle on that. Really good post moves as well. Uh, he's got good footwork for a big man. Uh, really works hard that, you know, they're going to post him up. They are going to try to get some offense. And it's been a minute since Auburn's had a guy they've been able to post up through at the center spot regularly. Um, you know, obviously Walker could do some of it. Jalen, when he played the five, could play to do some of that. Uh, but, I mean, you got to go back to – you got to go back to Wiley. Like, Peak Wiley was the last one that you kind of had that with. Um, and, yeah, I, I like I like what he does around the rim. I'm very impressed with him, very impressed with him. Um, additionally, uh, Jalen Williams, I think out of the returning guys, I came away and it's just one practice, but I came away the most impressed with Jalen. Um, when Bruce says they want to feed this thing to him and, 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 you know, get him a lot more involved this year and build it around him. I can see where that kind of confidence is coming from. This dude was hitting high, difficult shot, like high level of difficulty shots, face up game, back to the basket game. Uh, being aggressive on defense, uh, but man, his offensive game—you can just see—you can see him playing with a lot more freedom and, and kind of unlocked. Uh, I think Sonny Smith has said it in the past uh, about Jalen. He's so smooth that it looks like he's not trying hard, um, and I think that's kind of that's—it's one of you see that in football sometimes. You definitely see it in baseball and basketball, where just guys make it a little effortless, 
and, and don't really break a sweat doing it. Now, what they're doing is extremely hard, and it takes a lot of effort and energy, but there's just this calmness and kind of smoothness to his game. I think Jalen bringing that to the table with a higher volume of shots this year and a higher volume of offense and a higher volume of minutes, I think kind of like when we were talking about with Auburn baseball not too long ago with Bennett, is like it's just when a leader, when a team leader and one of your key guys is not, you know, playing over overamped, and and just has that calmness and smoothness to this game. I think that's going to be a really big benefit. I think we saw this also with when Auburn exited the NCAA tournament against Miami. That, that those Miami guards were just as cool as could be, uh, and they played a ton of basketball. And they played they they played a ton of basketball individually. Um, I think there's going to be some of that into Jalen's game that really really helps. But came away really impressed with just the evolution, the constant evolution of his offense. And like look. How many times last season when Jalen – like there were several games last year where you saw Jalen Williams catch fire off the bench and you're like, man, just feed it to him. Just He's he's hot. He's hot right now. Um, and I think if you can see that a little bit more consistently from – again, it's going to be nearly impossible to replace a guy like Jabari Smith in terms of offense. But more Jalen is not a bad problem at all for, for, for Auburn, especially especially with the way he can shoot. This team, while not having nearly as many – seniors on it as the 2020 COVID impacted team did. Uh, they are giving me that same the shades of that team, right? Talented uh, team that's been to the tournament, uh, albeit uh, exited, you know, the previous season with different circumstances. Those guys are coming off the of final four. So they had mm-hmm. made a great tournament run the previous year, but uh, yeah, the experience is finally built up. It's been a couple of years of playing lots of young guys for Bruce. And now he's got some, experience back uh obviously in different forms guys like alan and jalen have been here for multiple seasons you've got a number of transfers that have played either with auburn for a year or new to the team but there this this one is one to me that doesn't like have some sort of all-star on it there's no isaac okoro chumo kiki obviously uh potentially the number one pick in the draft uh won't be with you you know so uh uh, yeah, this team to me seems like a team that doesn't have a superstar on it, but has lots of experience. It's going to be fun. There's some news to talk about as well here. One of the guys I didn't mention there, you know, I was talking about Broom and talking about Jalen, some of these guys, uh, did not mention Yohan Treor. Um, he was not at practice. Uh, he has not arrived yet. He is, That is supposed to happen this week. Uh, he posted on social media on Sunday that uh, he is going to start practicing this week. So... That's big for Auburn. Um, seemed like there just needed to be, you know, needed some things that needed to be cleaned up, you know, in terms of getting him on 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 board and on campus. Um, not a hundred percent sure, you know, what what those what those things really were. Uh, but you know, guys arrive at different times in the summer. He's a little bit later than, than the rest, but they don't expect that to be an issue at all. Hit the ground running. Very interested to see how his arrival impacts how Auburn wants to rotate, how they want to play. Because you did see in that first practice, kind of like okay, you have the you know you have Broom and you have Jalen and you you kind of have that rotation going on. A guy like Treor, the fact that he is so versatile and so talented, I think is going to be a lot of fun to see how he impacts it. Uh, the newcomers as well. Uh, well, I think Auburn fans are going to like watching Trey Donaldson play. Um, he reminds me a good bit of um, of a guy like Wendell. He's obviously bigger than Wendell. Yeah, it will be um, funny but, to have a guard that's not completely undersized. Yeah, uh, and just stylistically, I think there's some similarities there. 
And then uh, Chance Westry, man, uh, a lot taller. I mean, I think, yeah, he, he looks like a wing. He looks like a wing, but he does guard like things. And so it'll be very interesting. I think he, Bruce, you know, said it when I asked him a few weeks ago where they where they see him play, and they like one, two, or three. And it makes a lot of sense. And I think there was a mailbag question not too long ago asking about Chance's, you know, Chance to be the, uh, the primary playmaker or something like that. And I think, I don't know if primary will be the thing for him, but if he catches fire and I think if a guy like Allen can, can do this as well, I think one of the biggest issues Auburn had last season, especially with Allen, not at the top of his game on offense was that when teams slowed down Wendell, it really cut down the flow of the offense. You did not have that secondary playmaker where you felt like you felt confident in, um, and things kind of, you know, it's just, it was different. You know, once teams figured out how to slow down that one five pick and roll between Green and Kessler, Auburn's offense kind of hit a little bit of a wall. And it took, they were able to get around it sometimes, but, you know, that's not Jabari Smith's game. That's not, you know, it was, was crazy not, how that pick and roll was just there. It was there so I mean, consistently. They beat the tar, and then they beat it was the tar amazing. Out of Kentucky with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was what was crazy to me, too, is how long it seemed to take teams to be able to figure it out. And yep. then suddenly it was like no more it was not that it wasn't a problem, but it just wasn't the same weapon it was. And that's that's a weird thing to me where you go halfway through the season just beating teams over the head with it. And then it seemed like almost overnight and, then it wasn't think, as big of a factor. Yeah, and I think the thing is that when they did slow it down, what Auburn needed is to be like, okay can we get good offense going if we give it in somebody else's hands? Not to take anything away from Wendell, but like if they're focusing on slowing him down because everything runs through him on offense, who could it be? Again, that wasn't Jabari's game. Allen was not at peak form. It's not KD's game. Zepp, I think, had some of that in him, but Zepp's style of you know, you know, know, initiating plays on offense is more. He was not going to make a mistake. This is a guy that I think got gunshot. And again, Zepp did a great job last year for Auburn. Um, and, and is, is a big-time weapon, and they'll, they'll be delighted that he's back this year. But I think he gets a little gun-shy on offense sometimes where he's not willing to force the pass in there, which can be a good thing, especially with turnovers, but, you know, gets gun-shy with a shot. They needed somebody to kind of step up and, and take that. And if, if that's either Allen unlocking his game as a wing again, being a, being a playmaker on the wing again, or if it's got, like, Chance playing more minutes and getting involved that way, um, I think that would be – you know, I think that could be a big wrinkle to him again. You were saying it just a second ago. This team doesn't have Walker. It doesn't have Jabari. Um, it doesn't have like this clear cut. Hey, he's going to be the superstar name that you know of right now. But this team's deeper. This team's more versatile. And I think, you know, it's the more experienced. And I think that could contribute to a deeper run in March if they can get all these things figured out. Again, what they did last season, winning the SEC title, um, you know, getting to number one for the first time ever. Producing a guy like Jabari, having a defensive player of the year uh, nationally like Walker Gesser, amazing year, outstanding year for Auburn. Very disappointed in the way they for raising the profile of your team, even if the season ended on a weird, bad note. Right. This team, I think, because of their depth and their experience and their versatility, I think they have an ability to maybe go deeper in March. Obviously, Auburn was expected to go deeper than they did this time around. Um, Whereas I think you might not have as much regular season success. You might not have as much. And look, you may. I mean, I don't know. Like, I would say the goal is to win the SEC title because you've got the talent and the experience to do it. But if, you're, be if you're putting your money on it, if, and that's sort of where I, 
you know, as a degenerate set the baseline is like, if I really am going with not just my gut of what I want to happen, but would I put money on this? No, I wouldn't. But would I put, no, I wouldn't put money on them winning the tournament either. Cause it's such a crap shoot in the sec tournament. But that's where I want to see him play. Well, is like mm-hmm. finishing yeah. the top four and then do what they did again, sort of pointing back to that 2020 team, finish the regular season on a nice note. And then you go into the SEC tournament with some momentum. And of course that's where that experience and guard play starts to kick in. And you can start getting the old orange and blue lenses going on how things might be in the tournament. Right. And and we've talked about it with football where it's like Auburn's goal. I think, I think our buddy Parker did a great job of this the other day. He was doing these things on, if you don't follow him stats or on Twitter, he's a TCU guy. Um, he's doing these big 12, like what's the goal this year? What would be the goal to accomplish in three years? What would be a goal to accomplish in five years for every big 12 team? It was interesting kind of looking at it program wise. And we say in football, the next step for Auburn as a program is like, can you win double digit games more consistently? Can you win double digit games back to back years? It's been so long since the program's done it. But what we've said in the past also is this, if you can win double digit games in a season, more regularly. There's only a handful of teams in the country that can do that, especially coming out of the SEC. So when you look at f- basketball moving forward, especially with the way the postseason goes, it's you can't just snap your finger and say, well, we need to win the league every year and we need to make it to the Final Four. It's like, you know how hard that is? You know how many really, really good teams don't make it that far just because of how tough it is? Likewise, I think in basketball, the equivalent to me of like, hey, win 10 games more regularly. Uh, in football, I think the equivalent there is if Auburn – could be a team that makes it to the top four in the SEC every year and makes it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament regularly. If you get those two things, you are one of you're one of the 10 best programs in college basketball. You're one of the 10, 15 best programs and in college basketball. And then when things hit right for you, you start yeah. winning some games in a single elimination tournament. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it does mean more years than not you're going to be pointing to one or two moments that could have flipped it and made it the way you really wanted it to go, but you're right. Like if you're a top three or four team in the league – if you're constantly making it to the second weekend of the tournament, you're putting you're yourself in, in really play good to win spot. championships at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You are you are putting yourself and like consistent. You're talking high floor. You're talking but the way the league looks right them. now, you're yep. a top twenty five team when you're, you know, in this scenario. Top, yeah, top top four team. Top four team. If you're a regular a top four team in the SEC, I think you're a top fifteen team in the country. I think that's just where this league's headed. Um and uh, I think a lot of it is kind of backed up by the amount of talent coming in and the amount of coaching talent in the league uh, as well. So, uh, like I said, we will talk uh, NBA draft later in the week uh, as Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler uh, hopefully uh, hear their names early. I think Jabari definitely will. Uh, it's, but, uh, it's 424 on a Sunday. Yes. Where's the Justin vibe-o-meter on Jabari going to the Magic? Because all things look sunny and shiny right now. If yeah. we're gonna, if we're going to go back to my gambling baseline, I would bet money on Jabari because yeah. odds tell me that's a good thing to take at number one right now. Yeah, no, he he is the he's the betting favorite. I think that's where it ends up. He did talk uh, earlier this uh, earlier last week that he did not interview with anybody past number two. He only talked to the Magic and he only talked to what the a Thunder. Hilarious thing to say because like, he said options, he said good. he said straight up he says I don't see myself falling below number two, so there was no reason to talk to him. This dude's not going to waste his time, which I which I appreciate, and like it does sound like you know the Thunder and the Magic, the where they are as pro, as programs as as franchises, um, they're not trading out of those picks. 
like you would have to give them a ton to 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 do that, and I don't think they're going to do that with with the way they're trying to rebuild. Here's the thing: uh, I personally personally would rather him see him play for the Thunder because I think the Thunder have a better long term future. Um, especially Are they having try to tank and get the first round first pick. <laughs> that kid next year is so ridiculous. They get so many. Yeah, I, I the tank job. Yeah, the tank job in 2023 is going to be fun to watch because. Again, with the NBA draft lottery odds, just because you have the worst record doesn't mean you're yeah, going to be the number uh, one pick. That, that has shifted the thinking at least slightly. But you want to be one of the worst. Yeah, you, you want to be, be the play, worst, baby. but you want to be the <laughs> you be yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, Victor Webbenyama is the guy we're we're talking about the the French teenager who is just like seven two. I and, envy him shoot. so much. He's God ridiculous. Almighty. Um, I'd rather him play for the Thunder because I think you already have a ready-made superstar in Shea. I think Josh Giddey's a, a great like Jabari talked about it earlier in the week. Um, you know, playing with big guards would be huge for him. Uh, guys who can get downhill and kick out to him. The Magic, it's number one overall. You definitely take it if you're number one overall. They need a power forward. I don't think whichever one of the Wagner's that we're playing power forward. I don't think that's their long-term future. Uh, they have a ton of seven-footers, so like they don't need Chet Holmgren. They've got wings. They've got guards. If if Jabari can be that shooter that they miss, that lead dog, scoring dog they miss, it could be a great situation for him. And it's not like the Magic are like completely dreadful. They've had a couple of really bad years, but like the Eastern Conference and the division they play in, I mean, they're one or two years away from like just getting back into the playoffs. Like it's not it's not going to take them too much to jump back up. It's not like they're it's not like they're the Kings, right? Or if you're the Kings, you're looking at it, it's like. Well, the Warriors just won another title. The Suns were the best team in regular season team in basketball the last two years. Uh, the Lakers are always going to be the Lakers, and the Clippers spend as much money as the Lakers. And it's like we're the Kings, we're terrible. Like, if you're the Magic, you can say, "Well, our biggest competition right now is the Hawks?" Question mark Who just didn't make the playoffs? The Hornets? The Wizards? Who's that other team in the? In I the did Southeast see a Europe? Snapchat story the good. recently. The heat, the heat are really, really good. The, this is like, but you could get back to second or third in that division really easily and make it to the playoffs. Uh, not sure of the sourcing here, but allegedly the Hornets locker room, according to this Snapchat, loves using drugs in the locker room. Oh dear! And that was to me. That seemed to be a salacious thing to say. It's very salacious. However, aren't well, you they, know, they like, you know, they in a just, pretty great direction? <laughs> Well, they, they got rid of their coach, and who people were kind of surprised that they got sure. rid of him, and then they went after Kenny Atkinson, who was like, the no. lead, lead assistant for the Warriors, and he was like, do I want to continue to be a lead assistant for a team that, that is winning championships, or do I want to go coach Mason Plumlee? Just like, hmm. That call. to me is like the choice of being like you're. A I do wonder coach. if he thinks that Kerr might be might be coming to an end. Like I do wonder, yeah. like whenever he stays back, I do wonder if Kerr is just gonna be like, I mean, like look, man, the dude's won nine NBA titles in his career. Like there's little else for him to prove. It does. At this it, point. You do wonder, you know, what what's the phrase? Looking around and seeing the whole world. You know, I mean, Kerr yeah. has really conquered the basketball world in many ways as a right. player and, and a coach. And, and as a Warriors fan, and a Warriors fan, my thing about Kerr is like, he obviously unlocked, like, he's been the coach for four of these titles, but like, also it's like, he has this tendency to outsmart himself sometimes, or like, he just tries stuff sometimes. You're like, dude, just stick, just stick to what, <laughs> what works. And I do wonder if it's just like, yeah, I might be done. I might be done. Like, what else do I have left to do? I'm gonna go retire and live the rest of my life. Like, I think he'd be a good front office guy. That's what he. That's what he was already yeah, in he, media. 
he did media and he did front office work, I think it moved back to either one. So I do wonder if like Atkinson's in a situation where he's like, well, maybe I can go there. Shout out to the King, whoever the Tampa Bay head coach was. I forget his name. The man who was clearly playing golf and drinking frequently and it annoyed Tom Brady. What was his name? Head coach. No uh, longer head coach. He has a fake job for the Bucks now. Bruce Arians? Thank you, Bruce Arians. He cracks me up because he absolutely annoyed Tom Brady for having way too much fun in his private life. And now they're like, Look, we need you to go away. We got to give you a real job. So here's the job. We'll pay and Brady's you. Like, and Brady's like, I, I've never had fun once in my life. And <laughs> seriously, I mean, the Hertz commercials may be the most fun he seems to be having. And Where then, he gets to drive an electric car. Yeah, Jesus. And then um, yeah, I will say the, the Atkinson thing, turning that job down, right? That is, I've got the, yeah, I got the yeah, details on it. that, right? Yeah. It reminds me of a coach who's savvy and is like, I could take a job at a low-level SEC school and immediately get fired in three years. Or I, I could wait. It's, a, it's two very more similar to Kevin Steele. What Kevin Steele did. Yeah. Or, or I could wait like literally two years and then have one of the best jobs. Brett Venables. That's a very Brett Venables thing, right? Venables turned down job after job after job after or job. Or be smart like, if you want to go that. Being route. like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And then it was like, because well, he held out for the job that was awesome, and that job well, that was awesome was freaking Oklahoma, like, yeah. like one of the five best programs in college football right now. Um, and so. that, folks, is why JT Thor is going to be a superstar. That's right. Let JT coach. Uh, all right. So uh, appreciate you guys listening. Like I said, um, Auburn baseball later on this afternoon. You're listening to this on a Monday morning. Appreciate Bennett joining us. We will have uh, newsletters this week and maybe some podcast stuff later on in the week about the NBA draft. That'll be our focus with Jabari and Walker getting set. And then uh, keeping an eye on basket on football recruiting. Obviously, the pickup of uh, of of Braggs was a pretty big deal, and uh, we shall see where we go from there. And the summer's kind of flying by. You know, paying a little over a month. We'll be talking about football practice again. So it's been a it's been a good off season. It's been a good off season so far. Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, we will be back uh, for those of you who are subscribers. We'll be back later in the week with a premium pod. Uh, for the rest of you, we will be back next weekend. Painter, final thoughts. Folks, we love ice baths. I was going to do a question, a trivia question, as we normally do, but someone's team just won a title, so I'm going to open up the floor to Ferg to talk about how does it feel to be a champion yet again? This is a really fun team. Uh, you know, it felt like when the Durant titles were like, well, yeah, like they, they, should, they should do this. Not to say the Warriors aren't, you know, fully capable of doing this again, uh, but the fact that this was the 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 playoff run that cemented I think Steph's legacy is one of the best to ever do it uh, will always be special for me. Seeing a guy like Andrew Wiggins go go crazy in, in the postseason was a lot of fun. Um, seeing Clay be back and Clay wasn't old Clay again and Draymond's showing some rust, but they're winning titles. They've got a young core coming back up. It was just a lot of fun. It was it, it reminded me a lot of the first one. Um, from, from the pre-KD title where it's like, wow, this is just a team that played really good team basketball, and yeah, Steph Curry's better than you, and you better start respecting him.